You're listening to Underestimated, real stories from real women, discussing how they overcame everyday hurdles and rose above. We will not be underestimated. Today on Underestimated, we have serial entrepreneur, mother of three daughters, epitome of female leadership, Ashley Rose. Ashley, thank you for joining us on Under- Underestimated today. I'm, I'm so excited to tell your story of being a female co-founder and CEO of a tech company and raising three independent little girls. I know you certainly must have a few stories of overcoming challenges while balancing the responsibilities of a CEO and motherhood. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Crystal. So first question is, is do you ever even find time to yourself? So I actually do. Um, so when I, I always like to tell people, you know, about kind of the phases of raising kids. And I think it was a few years ago that we entered a really awesome, very cool phase. And the way that I sort of bookmark it was the year that all of my kids could go to ski school at the same time when we're going skiing in Colorado, which we love to do. So um, my kids are uh, seven, nine, and 13. So Bella's actually babysitting age, which is fantastic. And we have Grammy um, in Austin. She lives just on the road. So I do get some time to myself and I do get time with Drew. So it's not as you know crazy of life as most people would probably imagine. But it's only been recently since the kids have gotten a little bit older. Oh, wow. So before it was just go, 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 go all the time. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, go, go, go all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's still go, go, go. But definitely now that the kids are older and they have activities and we're babysitting age, it's just I have to make it a priority to, to find time for myself and recharge and spend time with friends and do things that are going to fill me up so I can continue to fill the company up and my kids and family up. So, so what do you what do you spend your free time doing? You could do anything. The kids are off your plate, companies off your plate. What are you doing? What do you want to spend your time doing? Oh, man. Um, well, so I don't get that much time, but when I do, <laughs> that okay. makes it sound like I have all this time. Um, no, so I mean, I work a lot, you know, obviously. And then um, I do spend a lot of time with the kids by choice because, you know, I am not with them very much um, time in the day. But then when I'm alone, like, so I'm very social and I get my, so I'm an extrovert, right? So I fill up being with other people. So, I love going on walks with my friends. Um, I love drinking wine. So you'll find me often at like wineries or breweries or something around the area. Um, But I love being outside. And so that's why I love Austin. So if we're hiking or boating or, you know, just going to parks or doing something like that, like I'm I'm super happy. Um, And then I love to travel. But, you know, obviously with COVID, it's been, you know, not as much as I would, you know, particularly like. But um. You know, love to travel, love to ski, love to experience new places. Um, so as you know, as we kind of come outside of the pandemic, um, I'm hopeful that we're kind of back on the road, back on planes again. I find it so weird that we can walk around without masks now. Every time, like I just went into a gas station to pick up a gallon of milk because I didn't feel like going to HEB. I walked in without a mask. And every time I'm like, can I do this? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, every single store that I go to, I still check the door and I'm like... Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to travel again as well. What do you think your first trip will be? So my first trip is actually already scheduled. 
Uh, well, so I'm going to Michigan with my family in July. So that's coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but actual first trip without the kids and not for family. Um, we just booked our trip to Vegas for Black Hat. So in August, um, me, Drew, and I don't know, six of the other team members will be at our first in-person conference in over a year. So that's going to be crazy. Oh my gosh. And you guys used to do in-person conferences like crazy. How many did y'all used to do in a year? Oh man, I probably couldn't even count. I mean, pro- at least 20, if not more. Um, we were, yeah, we were definitely, sometimes we were doing like every week we would have a conference. It just depended on the season, but we traveled a lot and did a lot of events. Oh, that's crazy. So kind of in line with, um, the theme of the podcast, one of the things that I admire about you is one, the importance you put on having a very inclusive culture in your company and two, how you manage to be such a great, amazing mom and balance both of those. So what is the most challenging part of that for you? And what are some tips that you've found that help you work through that? Yeah. So I think, you know, two somewhat separate questions. So um, I guess from an inclusivity perspective, you know, I think by the nature of what we do as a business, uh, so I mean, a couple of things. So the nature of what we do as a business um, we're not a t- like a typical cybersecurity company that, you know, only needs like deep cyber tech excellence and expertise to, you know, create like an amazing product that's going to affect a lot of people. Um, because we're focused on the human side of cybersecurity, um, we're applying a lot of expertise from other disciplines. So, you know, design and behavioral science and learning and development and gamification and so it really opens up our kind of talent market to a lot of people that possess a lot of different types of backgrounds. Um, you know, me and myself, I, I have a marketing background. And so we were able to apply a lot of like MarTech and AdTech principles to our training platform and the way that we c- communicate and reach out to people. Um, and so, you know, I think like just by that fact alone, um, you know, where, where you see a lot of numbers skewing, right, from a diversity perspective, you know, first kind of look at STEM roles and tech roles, right? We're already from a, um, a gender diversity perspective, you're already limited. And then you look at the cybersecurity industry and you're, you have even kind of a smaller number of, you know, women and kind of a diverse, um, diverse workforce. Um, and so just by the nature of what we do, we have a larger talent pool. Um, and so one of the stats I'm really proud of is that we have over 50% women now at the company. So that is fantastic. Uh, but I, so I think it's that also the fact that we do have women leadership. I heard, we hear a lot of, you know, uh, prospective employees and also people that join the team that I didn't say it, uh, in the interview process, but, you know, people love to come to work where they see somebody who's like them in, you know, executive leadership or a leadership role. And it's not just me, but we have a lot of women leaders across the company as well. So I do think that's a big draw for people from, you know, a diversity and inclusivity perspective. Um, Did you find it hard to hire and meet that or manage to bring in those, those female leaders? Or was it something just because of the nature of, um, behavioral science and the expertise you were looking for, you just happened to find that that pool of female leaders. Yeah, so I've always, and as a startup, I mean, you don't you you, you have to focus, right, and like really focus, prioritize resources. Um, and so I always said from day one, I'm going to hire the most qualified individual for the role. 
And to me, like, did not matter what they looked like or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. And so, um, but what I think was really important and interesting to me, and I learned this sort of early on, was um, you have to appreciate sort of diversity of mindset and skill set and background and expertise. And if you're going kind of head to head, you're stacking up, right? Like, like, you know, people have a checklist over here and people have a checklist over here. If you had like two kind of similar candidates and one possessed, you know, something that the team did not possess, right? Like they were going to fill a hole, whether that's just, you know, their background or the way that they think about something or it just come like from a diverse set of experiences that can also tip the scale. So that can also like weight in their favor. Um, and so I think it's really important, especially as we're building a company and you're building a product that needs to speak to people who are diverse, right? And you need to be able to relate to people from different genders and different backgrounds and, and experience that you have that on the team. So I think there is, you know, some intentionality to it. But I also think like, we just have kind of kick-ass women um, and kick-ass people on our team that like are all men. So, um, and again, like I think some of the draw is like already having female leadership on the, on the team. Um, but I think your second question was around just balancing, you know, being a mom and then, you know, also the company. And that's looked different at different phases of growth for the company. I mean, even in the beginning, um, we were building the company out of our house, right? So the kids were running around and they were coming home from school and their employees and they were working and they just sort of, you know, kind of became part of our life. Um, not the kids, the, the team, of course. Mm-hmm. And like the kids were just sort of like, look at them as an extension of their family, which was awesome. Um, and we could do that because we had like 10 or 12 people at the time. Um, and then, you know, now we've obviously moved into an office. We're much larger. Um, we don't have that same like family feel of being such a small team anymore. Um, but the kids still come up here. And, and like I mentioned, we have um, Grammy who helps a lot. And, you know, I just try to like think about balancing and focus and priorities. I mean, there's like a couple some weeks where I'm out, you know, having dinner or going to networking events. And so I just really try to like prioritize and make time either on the weekends or like going into the next week to spend like quality focused time with the kids. Um, and I've learned that like quality time is also much more important than like the quantity of time that you're spending. So being able to put down your device, turn off your phone, like go do something that they want to do and like actually be present for them goes like so much further than being, I mean, even when I was home with the kids when they were very young, spending all day, but like Mm -hmm. not actually being present. I love, um, the fact that you're a founder of a tech company and you're calling out, put down the devices, have quality time. I think it's a very common theme that we're seeing everywhere today. Yeah, I actually, so interesting. I, we do this thing called Donut at our company. I, I don't know if you're familiar, but Slack has an app. It's like a Donut app. And it mixes up um, virtual meetings for people and then like sets 30 minutes on your calendar. Yeah, 30 minutes. Um, and I just met with one of our team members who I haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with. And she had the same questions. She said, you know, what do you like? And I was talking to her about how I think it's really important to unplug and, get, you know, put down the device and not always being online. And she's like, well, how do you manage that? Like, you know, you're a tech founder and you have three kids and everyone's on devices. Um, and for me, I think, first of all, I tell my kids, like, go outside, go play. Like, you're not allowed on your tablet. Like, you can't do X, Y, and Z. You can't play video games. 
Um, but I really think like, because I love the outdoors when you're outside and you're just like active and do an activity, it's much harder to be on devices or being plugged in. So you really can't unplug. So a lot of like what we do as a family are just like centered around activities where you have to be unplugged. Oh, that's so great. And I love that. I think that's the best advice anyone can give is just go outside. <laughs> just go outside. Go find some friends. Go play outside. <laughs> I mean, as we were kids, that's exactly what my mom did for us. It's like, just get out of here. You're driving us insane, <laughs> which is not what you're doing. <laughs> Other than uh, go, go outside and play. <laughs> so can you think of a time that you have particularly found challenging that was just something that you really had to work through to overcome? Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I appreciate you sharing questions ahead of time. Um, cause I, you know, really wanted to think about this, but, um, so, I mean, I like, I'll get a little personal here on the, on the podcast with you. Um, I think, you know, honestly, there's been a lot of ch- like challenging times, um, in our professional life and like with the company and, you know, every day is a challenge and we're always trying to grow and learn and do something else. But, for me in particular, um, you know, one of the like pivotal moments was when I was in college and I had my first daughter. So, you know, Bella's 13. So if any of you can do the math, right? <laughs> um, I actually was um, 20 when I had Bella. Uh, I'm Well, yeah. So right, I just right before I turned 21. And so I was a sophomore in college and, you know, living like somewhat normal kind of collegiate life as a, you know, freshman, sophomore um, and, you know, obviously made some decisions that could have put my life like down a completely different path. Uh, and so, you know, it was super hard. Um, I actually cha- like ch- changed colleges during that time. I moved from South Carolina back to Michigan, uh, to be closer to family so that they could help me raise Bella because I knew I wanted to continue on with my, you know, college degree and make sure that I was graduating. Um, so, you know, I was the only pregnant person in class. Um, I actually, had Bella the day that I took my last final. Oh and my gosh. And I always think that's a funny story because so of all finals, I was taking a physics final yes. and we were living in Michigan. It was the middle of the snowstorm. So, you know, I called up my mother-in-law and said, Hey, I think I'm in labor. And she said, you promised, like our agreement was you're going to finish this semester before you have your baby. Like you go take your, your final. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. You know, grab me up. I'm going to go take my final. So I drove myself to, um, you know, it was about 30 minutes away in the middle of a snowstorm. And I'm, you know, in my physics final taking this and I'm like in labor, like legitimate, like contractions and labor. And every few minutes I was having a contraction. So I would have to stop and like not pay attention to whatever, you know, whatever was on the paper. And so I was just like going away and, you know, physics is all math. So it's like all, pro- you know, math problems. And I had to like memorize a lot of this stuff. So um, every few minutes I would like lose focus. And so I'd come back to the paper and pick back up and I'd go and go. So finally I was like, all right, this is enough. I need to go turn this in and I need to go to the hospital. And so, um, I went and I gave my final paper, my final exam to the teacher. And I don't think she knew that I was in labor because she's like, Oh, I'd like to check everyone's final when they turn it in. I'll give you your grade. So I'm sitting there like, Oh my God, are you serious? And so she's sitting there checking my exam in front of me. And I'm like, I just need to go to a hospital. Um, anyway, so I ended up getting every answer wrong, but I got an A on the final because it's a math problem. So you get points for all the work, right? And all the steps. And I got all the steps right. I got all the answers wrong. 
I ended up getting an A in the class. It was fantastic. But uh, I, you know, I drove myself to the hospital after that and ended up having Bella later that day. So anyway, that was like a little tangent from why this was so hard. But, you know, it was after that, you know, I started taking Bella to class with me. I ended up taking a semester off and then I ended up doubling up on classes because I wanted to finish in t- on time. Um, and, you know, my family was super supportive. So I had a lot of help, right, watching Bella. Um, but yeah, I would take her to school. Like she'd be there for tests and exams. And um, it was really hard, you know, and we were young, like we didn't have a lot of money at the time, you know, Drew at that point, we were both like waiting tables um, to get through school because we had, were paying our, you know, paying our way through school. Um, and so it was just, it was like a very challenging time in our life. But coming out of that, I ended up, like I said, graduating uh, about a half a semester late. So I was able to graduate that summer right after the like the spring semester where my class graduated. So I got to walk with my class, which was awesome. And, you know, now it's like I have my degree and my like my aunt said, something like no one can take away from you. And for me, it was like going through that experience, you know, the two things, you know, you ask, what, what did you learn? But for me, it was like resilience and perseverance, right? And so... I knew that, you know, and I look back now, right, because there's been other challenging times, but it's through, like, the hardest times in your life that you actually have the most rapid experience for growth and maturity as a person and, you know, kind of learn that if you just stick it out, you can almost get through anything, right? Like, people are very resilient, and I think we underestimate ourselves, we underestimate our abilities, but you can do so much more than you think you can, and so... I think I'm lucky to have gone through like this type of experience and others in my life because I've gotten to learn that. And now I can kind of stick it out through a lot of other things that are happening. And the movie comes out next year, 2021. <laughs> I had no idea about that, that you were taking a final while in labor. And well, I mean, one, your story is just incredible. But so back whenever you were giving labor or you were in labor, do you think, can you think of that time? Did you and Drew ever think that you guys would be where you are now? Oh man, that's a question. Um, so, it's not on the question list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let me think. So I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, right? Like I always knew I wanted to build something. I always joke and I'm like, I was legitimately selling rocks on the playground in elementary school. So like that was like, you know, in me. Um, from like just kind of who I am as a person. Um, did I ever think that I would, you know, have a 65 person company growing and, you know, being tech and cybersecurity? Like, I think the answer is, you know, no, I did not. I could never have imagined this. Um, nor do I think I probably thought that Drew and I would actually co-found a company together uh, and do, you know, do this together. I think, you know, that was not something that we had planned or envisioned. Um, but one thing I do know is that like every experience that I go through or anybody that anybody goes through, like that prepares you for what's ahead. So it's really only because of some of the things that I've gone through and the challenges I face and like the learning experiences has actually prepared me for what I'm doing now. So I'm a firm believer like that nothing's wasted, right? As long as you're intentional, like nothing's wasted. Yeah. I think hardships are some of the biggest opportunities to grow your character and as you said resilience resilience um apparently i can't talk today (laughs) if you could meet yourself as or if you could talk to bella 
uh, or as yourself, as a little, little girl, what is the one piece of advice you would give her? Yeah. So this, I, I talked about this for a little while. Um, and I think it's so like, it, you know, it's played a lot online and there's like memes and everything about this, but really I think it's that, you know, I can do hard things and then nothing lasts forever. Like those are the two things that I always go back to when I'm going through something. Um, I actually used to kind of joke Drew. So, you know, Drew, my husband, my co-founder, um, he spent two years in Afghanistan. So like two, like one year, right? Twice. So it's two separate times. And I always had kids. Like, so the first time it was just Bella. And then the second time I was actually pregnant with Emmy. So I had two kids and I was pregnant and also moving across the country. And he left for a year. And I'd always joke, I'm like, I can do anything for a year. Because like, once you go through that, right? Like nothing lasts forever. And so I think like, that's always something I can draw upon. And a lot of people are like, oh, I can do anything for a month. I'm like, no, I can do anything for a year. Like I've done it. I've done like really hard things for a year. So I can do anything for a year. But I mean, really, like if you can start smaller, like, you know, you can do anything for a day, you can do anything for a week, you can do anything for a month, you can do anything for a year. Like, again, people are super resilient, like more resilient than they think they are. Um, And I think right, we underestimate ourselves. But, you know, I think I've just learned that I can do a lot of really hard things. And that even if I'm doing something that really sucks, or, you know, like, oh, man, I just like wish I wasn't doing this. Like you can push through it and you're going to come out the other side. Like nothing actually lasts forever. Yeah. Um, With that in mind, what motivates you? What gives you that drive, that want besides like I could do anything for a year. Like I'm sure you have crazy lofty goals. Where do those wants come from? Uh, Yes. So Maybe this may not come as a surprise or maybe it does, but I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So (laughs) like, I mean, not in probably a good way, right? I've had to learn how to like use it for good. Um, Yeah. So that's like one of my challenges, but um, my perfectionist qualities make me um, passionate, right? Passionate about like growth and making a difference. And so like, I always want to be improving. Like I always want to do something more. I always want to learn something more or like make a bigger difference in whatever I'm doing. And so I'm very like somewhat all or nothing in that as well. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it like to the best of my abilities and I'm going to do it really well. Um, and so, you know, thinking about how that's played out in my life and like how that, you know, plays on the company you know, with Living Security's mission, we our mission is to secure companies by making people your greatest asset. And so, for like, I'll connect the dots here. But um, you know, essentially, we help people to be more secure by making better decisions that affect their lives and families. So, like, we are actually helping to grow employees and people, and like help them to be more secure and sort of do better, right? In this like online world that we're living in. Um, and then from a growth perspective, like I love every new phase of growth that we're in. Be like, I loved going from zero to a million and then, you know, a million to three million and like our, you know, kind of next endeavor. Like I love that because we always get to strive to do more and do better and to improve and like to make a bigger difference. And then, you know, the other parts of like, you know, having the team, I know like outside of all the employees we get to reach. And I think we actually reached a really cool milestone. Yesterday, we had um, over half a million people on our training platform, which is super cool. That was awesome. So we're reaching like people all over the world. 
Um, but Ooh. yes, it was very cool. That was super exciting. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, we had like 65 team members, you know, 65 people on Living Securities team right now. Like we get to improve their lives. Like we get to make a difference with them and their families. And we get to work towards a common goal and like be supportive of each other. So, you know, whether it's like company growth or team or, you know, just making the world a better place or like even personal growth and personal development. Like I'm super motivated by the fact that, you know, every phase with this company is something like I get to learn and like get to add to my experience bank and like, okay, we did this next company or, you know, we added this channel revenue stream or, you know, we're now bringing on customers that are overseas. Like they're always new experiences and nobody gets to take those away. Like that's something that I get to kind of take with me going forward. So I think that's like my biggest motivator is like, you know, maybe it's like, I'm addicted to growth. I don't know, but <laughs> that's probably like, that's probably part of it. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's about growth and like making a difference. That's, that's a good thing to be addicted to. <laughs> so a positive impact on the world. So what are some of the ways that I think you have very clear, defined, meaningful ways that you motivate yourself, you motivate your team, how do you approach raising your daughters and making sure those same qualities are instilled in them? I mean, I'm always one. And I think because I learned like this, you know, and maybe like, and some, you know, for some of my kids, it's not going to be the same, but I really do believe that you learn through your own experiences. And so I try to give the girls as much experience as possible and that's through, I mean, even through like bringing them to Living Securities offices and sharing with them about what we're doing or, you know, sharing things that like Drew and I have accomplished or that, you know, that we're doing with the company, you know, online or getting them to be a part of the Family First video series. It's like opening up their world to just recognizing that there's more outside of, right? Like their, their little world of school, like gymnastics and, and everything else. So it's sort of just opening them up to new experiences and opportunities and then just really encouraging them. So, you know, I we, like we talk to them and we're intentional about talking to them about, you know, what are you passionate about? Like what things motivate you? Like what moves the needle for you? And also letting them know, like you can do anything that you want to do. I mean, I'm, I do not tell them they can do anything that they want to do without hard work. Like, I think that's really important is that, um, like you can do anything you want to do, but you have to put in the work and then you have to be intentional and you have to focus and you have to learn and like apply yourself. And, but I, I really do believe like you know, there's definitely like a talent to things, but um, I actually, I learned, I saw this quote the other day, you know, it's startup battles are regularly won by people who can run longer than those who can run faster. And I like firmly believe that like if you can apply yourself, you put in the time, you put in the effort, like you can do so many great things. And so we're just super encouraging of them um, and also like letting them see and learn from our experiences and then, you know, opening up them to like new experiences for themselves. Like for instance, Bella's going to do an entrepreneurship class at school this next upcoming semester. So just like encouraging them to like break outside of what, you know, what normally they may lean into. Do you think they realize the head start you're giving them by giving them these experiences and by encouraging them to constantly learn and taking an entrepreneur class? Probably not. <laughs> I'll just be very honest. Um, so I think as they get older, right? So Emmy, I started living 30, we started four years ago. So Emmy was three 
wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's like, very, I actually need to look back at pictures. That's actually insane um, to think that she was just that little. But so she was three. And so she's grown up with us, you know, as entrepreneurs and building a business and me fundraising and us traveling all over and like having a team. So to her, this seems somewhat normal. Uh, but with our oldest, with Bella, who's 13, so she's seen life kind of before living security and she's been through some of the like challenging years, right? Which I mean, again, still challenging, but different types of challenges. Um, and then now she's old enough to recognize that what we're doing is like very different than what most of her friends, our parents are doing. And so like she can compare that and say, Oh, like she's at sleepaway camp right now. So she's like, Oh, my friends are going to sleepaway camp. I'm like, yeah, that's like an experience that we get to give you because of you know how hard we've been able to work and like what we've built with living security and, um, you know, recognizing that, okay, actually I'll give you another example um, of ways that I'm intentional. So I, the other day, this was like a couple months ago, um, I came into work and I, the kids were on a break. I'm trying to remember, I think it was like spring break or something. And you know, I said it was their last day of spring break. And I said, I'm going to cancel every meeting today and go take my kids for a hike. And my kid, my teens are going to probably listen to this. So I do not do this very often. If I'm not in the office, I'm not always hiking with my kids. But that day I felt like I need to go spend time with my kids. It's their last day of spring break. So um, anyway, left, took them hiking. We went somewhere in like Dripping Springs or something. And I told them when we were on the hike, I said, do you realize that because you know, of my position in the company and that we started this and like daddy and I are entrepreneurs that we can make decisions like this. Like we can control our schedule. Like we can own our schedule. We can decide if we're having a meeting or if we're not having a meeting, if we're going to go to this event or we're not going to go to this event. And when you work for someone else, right? Like you don't own your schedule, like the, the team does. And it's not to say that entrepreneurship is for everyone by any means, right? And like, I've been on both sides of the coin and there's parts of my life where like, I shouldn't have been starting a company, right? I had to learn and like grow from certain experiences. Um, but I tried to like tell them the reason that we get to go on this hike right now is because of like the work that we put in and the sacrifices that we've made and that we are setting them up for, you know, a different life, right? Kind of post, post this or, you know, during their lifetime with us or post. So you know, I think you can share that and communicate it, but it's not really till they're older that they'll really recognize, okay, this is not the same as what, you know, all my other friends are experiencing or, or whatnot. So. I'm sure when they're older and, you know, young adults, they'll be, oh, this is, I think they're going to applaud and be very grateful for the way that you raise them. That's so, the hope. That's the hope. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I always find intriguing and a firm belief of mine is that, and similar to you, resilience, but the growth from our failures and what we learn from our failures and how failure is so important um, to move on to that next step and to become successful. So what are some of the failures that that you see? I know you've, a serial entrepreneur, tried a couple of things that you think you've learned something from that was important to your success at living security so i try not to use the word failure but like learning opportunity no just kidding so no <laughs> i'm totally, totally curious so yeah i mean my like greatest learning moments have been through you know times of like not succeeding um but i think as long as you take something away from those experiences like they're really not 
you know, fa- like failures, um, which is why I'm like, I'm <laughs> um, yeah, my first, I mean, my first company, uh, Bella Bear Bear was an infant and children's swimwear company. And, um, I started that like actually while I was in, in college, it was my senior year, senior year at college. And, you know, it was, it was really cool oper- like experience and opportunity because I was able, I was taking business classes. So I got to like do a lot of my work like with like real life, you know, hands-on experience with the business and then apply that back to like my, my senior year. Um, but so I actually started this company twice. The first time it was very, very small. Um, I taught myself to sew, you know, made prototypes and then found a local seamstress and was selling swimwear like online. I had a website and we we're just taking orders. I was doing things like Facebook and, and, and that type of thing. Um, and then I actually... And not shutting that down when I moved from, um, so when I graduated, uh, graduated college, I moved to Arizona and I was living on a military base with Drew because he was, he was in training. So I shut that down for a little while and was just trying to like figure out my life. Like, what am I going to do next? I ended up taking a job doing, there was like nothing we're looking for, which you've got Arizona. I took a job doing, um, online sales for a, like a, an expert company. Um, but I was out there again, uh, you know, like, like experiencing new things, like not doing the, the company and things like that. I actually had applied during that first kind of startup of the company to get onto Shark Tank and I didn't make it. So that was a failure that sucked, you know, it's really awesome to be on Shark Tank. But then you know, like fast forward, so I, you know, did sales and then I actually ended up working in marketing for a while. And then I did like office and administrative work. So I did all these different things. Fast forward, I'm not going to count the years. Um, so probably it was about five, maybe four, no, four years, not five. It was about four years from like the first time I started that up to the second time. And I was living in Huntsville, Alabama. And I just had my second daughter, Juliet. And so, you know, I was sort of like motivated again to restart this company. And so this time I said, okay, we're going to go a little bit bigger. Because the first time it was so tiny, like it was, like, you know, online sales and like this, this small um, seamstress. So the second time I'm like, okay, let's go bigger. I decided to take the company Kickstarter and it's, so are you familiar with Kickstarter? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. That's the yeah, cool. Um, so you know, Kickstarter was actually like kind of newer. This was 2012. I don't remember when it started, but there wasn't, it wasn't as big as it is today. Um, but anyway, I said, I'm going to go and actually set up like a real manufacturer out in California. Um, and so, you know, I had like real designers creating like real, um, uh, real patterns and like designs for the swimwear. And then like, I ended up making the first prototypes again for, for this launch. And then I went out to California and found a manufacturer. I got everything priced out and realized like figured out, okay, I need to be able to sell X number of swimsuits to be able to pay for this first like swimmer line to be manufactured by this like more professional manufacturer. Um, so I mean, again, very cool experience. I like was out in California shopping for fabrics and like, literally went and found a swimsuit manufacturer that's making like legitimate swimmer lines. So this was like the real deal. Um, and then went to Kickstarter and had to like apply all of my marketing knowledge to figure out, okay, how am I going to go raise? I think, I think my minimum was like 20 grand. Like I needed 20 grand to go make this swimmer line so I could, you know, go get this manufacturing order uh, placed. And so, you know, I did like Facebook advertising and marketing I actually went and started reaching out to boutiques like international and, um, you know, U S based boutiques, have them order like large orders. Obviously we did like friends and family stuff too. 
And then, you know, just like our own kind of online advertising and, and, and things like that. And then Kickstarter, but I created a Kickstarter campaign, launched it, and ended up coming in, I think, at about $30,000 in swimwear orders through my first Kickstarter campaign, which was the most raised uh, money on Kickstarter for a children's line at that time. So that was very cool. And again, like it's, it's gotten much bigger. But um, from there, so I had you know hundreds of swimsuits that I got to make at one time. And then got that order manufactured, had tons of things go wrong. I mean, like, I mean, this is probably like a podcast for another day. All the things <laughs> with this swimwear line, things like, you know, swimsuits coming in made upside down. I mean, it was like, it was madness. Um, but all was said and done. I was able to deliver on all of the orders through Kickstarter. And I had inventory made where I was able to then take to market and actually go get a wider reach, right? And then continue to sell that line. Um, and so that was, I mean, I count that as a success. Like my first like product line launched and was able to fulfill orders successfully and actually started gaining quite the following uh, on Facebook from like the mom's community. Uh, one of the like really cool marketing uh, outreach efforts that I did was I actually reached out to, um, it, like at that point there wasn't the idea of influencers but I reached out to photographers that had kids and I said, Hey, I'm going to send you swimsuits. And if you take a picture of your daughter in the swimwear and post it on your page, like, like I'll just send it to you for free. So I found uh, photographers that had like thousands of followers. And so they were taking pictures of somewhere, posting it. And then all their followers were buying the swimsuits. So it was like true, you know, like grassroots, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like um, influencer marketing did not exist at the time. So anyway, all that said, fast forward, um, you know, I got pregnant with Emmy, mentioned Drew went overseas and I moved to Austin. And during all of that craziness, I realized like, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep up another year of a swimwear swimsuit line. So I shut down the company again. And, you know, I always looked back and it took me a, a kind of a while to um, kind of come to terms with doing that. Like it was actually one of my biggest regrets for a while because we had like this great following and I probably could have, you know, gone overseas and made like more swimsuit lines and like grown this awesome brand. Like I had this really cool brand that I was developing and like a following. Um, and so I did, I looked back and that was like really hard for me to like put in the past. Um, but again, you know, learned so much from both like the first time when I launched that to then growing it bigger the second time and then being able to apply a lot of what I learned now to living security, which is obviously much larger than, than, than Bella Bear ever was. So, you know, nothing was wasted in that. So failure or not, I mean, I learned a ton and, and it's gotten me to where I am today. Ah, that's so great. I love hearing your story and the fact that you, you started the company once and the situation panned out to where you had to leave and move and then you started again. And then it just, every time you grew and learned something from it, how is it different starting up a, a B2B versus your, your B2C formerly? So what did you from that? everything is different. So, I mean, you, you think about the, so if you think about like just the inner workings of, you know, going from like a concept, right. And then you have to then go create something, right. Figure out a problem first, find a problem, right. Mm-hmm. concept and you have to then like design something and you think about it from a um you know mvp most you know minimum viable product perspective i was able to do that right with bella bearware where i designed a prototype so i had a problem i needed snaps in my swimwear for baby girls 
And for my, for my baby girls, I'm like, that's my problem. Everybody must have this problem. But I validated it, right? I went online and I started Google searching and found all these people that were looking for the same thing. They had the same problem as me. So I validated the problem, right? Then I designed a solution and then I, you know, prototyped it. So MVP brought that to market, got feedback, and then, you know, started producing. Uh, and then you iterate from there, right? So you go, you, you know, your marketing and then you do your sales. You know, then you have your customer support, right? And your delivery and your customer support. And then, you know, it's just like this, like a cycle from there. I mean, I applied the same experience in the B2B sense. So there's tons of different things, right? And like how you market and how you reach people and like contracting and like what you need to support an enterprise. I mean, so many things are different. But if you go down to the core of like what it means to like start and launch a company or like bring a product to market, same thing, right? We realize. There's a problem. People can't train their employees effectively where they're, you know, stopping bad behaviors and they're stop, you know, stop clicking on links and they're still presenting risk to their company. So problem, right? I actually went to my first conference ever uh, was Black Hat, which I'll be back in in August. And I went with a iPad and I went around and talked to security people and said, what's wrong with your security awareness training program? Like, what do you not like about it? What are your complaints? What are the biggest pain points? Would you pay for a solution if there was something, right? So I validated the problem. And then we started designing a solution. And that first solution or MVP was the escape room. So we were trying to figure out would people pay for, you know, more engaging and interactive cybersecurity awareness training. And so, you know, we brought that to market to a couple initial customers. Um, you know, CVS Health and Verizon were a couple of our first ones. So big businesses, not like moms, but, you know, yeah. we just to be same sort of concept, validated that, got paid for it. Now the customers that need to support, you know, and then you go and you start developing, iterating on your solution. So at the core, I mean, business is business, right? And like developing a solution that solves a pain point and then monetizing it, like whether it's in B2C or B2B, there's a lot of similarities. Um, it's just, I mean, it's, it's now it's in the details, right? Is this a corporation? Do I need a contract and do I need, you know, data protection and GDPR certifications and I'm doing software. So I need like a big software team and people like Dan to come, you know, build and then support my software platform. So, you know, there's a ton of uh, differences. Like I don't want it, you know, to make it seem too easy, but, um, at the core of what I did both with Elevator and Living Security, it's all, it was all the same. Yeah, you had the foundation down. You you did it twice already, doing it a third time and just the details, <laughs> tweaking those. Yeah, yeah. I think a big difference for me is having a team and scale and, and capital, like, and in, in, I mean, financing outside of, you know, a Kickstarter campaign, but like millions of dollars now that we're doing it. But it's like each phase, it's just it's more money, it's more customers, but you're doing the same thing. Um, but managing a team and building a team and leading a team is very different than like co managing contractors, right? And like delivery of products from like people that mess up and I can come back and say, I'm not going to pay you for this. Um, you have people and you have emotions and you have lives and all of that, that, you know, has to intertwine and you have to lead well, right? You have to motivate and keep people engaged and keep people focused on the mission and like wanting to come to work every day. And that's, there's more complexities there, but it's also more rewarding. Well, yeah, because you're impacting 
people's lives almost on a more personal level. And I mean, people are spending, how long has Living Security been around now? Four years tomorrow. It's our birthday. Really? Oh my gosh, you guys have grown so fast. <laughs> Congratulations for four years. I feel like y'all have been around for a decade. <laughs> I don't know why I feel that way. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, yeah, you just just blew up. Um, so one of the things that I think is an obvious question, and I have one more question after this, and then I'll let you go back um, to the crazy world of CEO and mom and managing everything. So I think the obvious question is in 2020, there was probably a major challenge that came about whenever you couldn't do in-person events and where there was a large large part of your business that relied on that. So how did you feel? What, how did you adjust? What was going through your mind? Cause you guys, I would say adjusted very quickly and very well. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, you're hundred percent spot on. You had, you know, an insider look at <laughs> what we had going on at Living Security. But so there was really, I mean, all of our business was affected, but two parts uh, materially were, both our marketing, right? Because we talked about the events and that being a big part of our strategy and then our product. So we were delivering the escape rooms and that became such like a core part of our business. We actually figured out a way to, you know, scale the escape rooms through technology and like a licensing and train the trainer model. So we had about, you know, over 50% of our clients that were um, engaged with us to run in-person training. And so obviously when COVID hit and all the employees went home, um, and we, I mean, in the beginning, nobody knew how long that the pandemic was going to last. Like if you would have asked in the, in the beginning, like would it last over a year? I would have been like, there's no way. And I remember sitting and thinking this could last like a couple of months. Like, and I think some people were thinking, okay, maybe this is like a week or a couple of weeks. But I was like, no, this, like, I think this might last like a few months and that could be like really devastating for us. But yeah. like, I don't think I ever imagined like it was going to be, you know, what are we going on now? Like 13 or no, we're on 15, 16 months, right? Since March. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody prepared was prepared for this, but, um, I would say about two or three weeks in when I realized this could last longer than we, than we initially anticipated. Um, I, well, this is an interesting story. So, um, Drew, so we went to bed and, Story for another time, we were in a rental house because our house caught on fire by our puppy. So, you know, again, we'll come back to this. We'll, we'll do like a, a part two. I have like so many stories I can share. I mean, I'm telling you, but, um, you know, we were, so we're in a rental house. We go to bed. I couldn't sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and I just started like pounding out on the computer, you know, like what I thought a virtual version of the escape room could look like. And I can't take all the credit here by any means because that morning, the next morning, Drew woke up and Drew came and he was like, I've been thinking about this like virtual escape room option. I was like, what? I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm going to go first because we're going to come back and tell this story like, you know, two years, three years, 10 years later. And you're going to be like, I had the, the idea. So like legitimately, we both like on the same night came up with a nearly identical plan to bring the escape rooms online. Um, and like, so we sat there that morning and said, like, we started comparing notes and it was, I mean, I would say it's probably 80, 80 and 90% the same. So once we realized that both of us had the same idea, we were like, we have to do this. Okay. And that, so back to the validation point, 
um, I said, well, before we tell the team, why don't we call up some of our customers and like see what they think? So Drew and I got on our phones, like this is happening real time, right? Like three weeks into the pandemic, we, we call up our customers uh, and like thinking, like thinking back and like, what, what were our customers doing getting on the phone with us? But they answered, they answered the phone. And I said, you know, like Julie, it's one of our customers. I said, like, what do you think about this like online version? Like, what are you guys doing right now for training? How are you thinking about this? And our customers are so supportive. They're like, yeah, like, we, you know, we love it. It sounds great. Like you guys make it happen. Like we're on board. I'm sure they're all, and I'll have to ask her later. I'm sure they're all thinking like, there's no way they're, they're doing this. <laughs> like they're doing this. I'm like, no, no, no. Like this is like a six week thing, six, eight weeks, who knows? Um, and so I think it was later that day that, you know, Drew and I got on a call with the entire team, which was much smaller than it is now. I think, you know, we we're probably like 30 people at that point. Um, and we told them, listen, our customers can't use our product. We don't know how long this is going to last. Like the world is turned on its head. We have to do something. We have to give them a way to reach their employees while they're at home. Right? They're even more at risk now because they're outside of the corporate network. We're outside of like our you know corporate environment. And so um, we we told them, here's the plan. Like we're going to go full force. We've got like a six to eight week timeline to get this launched. And we're going to bring it to market to our customers. Um, an awesome new employee that started, uh, Caitlin, she was supposed to be doing the physical escape rooms. So we we're like, no more physical rooms. Like you're going to help bring this to market. And like the entire team refocused. And I mean, obviously, you know, firsthand, I mean, like Dan, the whole team was working like around the clock. Right. And like, I'm so grateful to everybody that was part of that, like 30 person team, but around the clock working to bring an online solution to market so that we can service our customers. I mean, looking back, some of the like really, really cool kind of output of that, um, we actually transitioned about 85% of our revenue uh, online. So all of the in-person, most of our customers actually like actually bought into the online solution. Um, and then not only did we like recover a majority of the revenue, um, but actually through 2020, uh, we tripled our revenue as a company, which was largely in part to not only transitioning, but then finding so much value in the digital solution that they were growing with us. And uh, we doubled our customer base, and tripled our revenue. So like a ton of growth, right? I think about 30% of our growth was from our install base growing, which is awesome. But then I think the other cool thing for us and kind of bringing it back around to like underestimated, right? Into the podcast theme here is what we were able to learn as a company about our ability to adapt and be resilient and persevere through like a really, really challenging time. And not only like our company went fully remote, which we were not before, most of us, most of us were in person, um, but also by pivoting our product and pivoting our go-to-market strategy and then continuing to like crush it and growth that year is something that like that whole the whole team that was involved will be able to look back on and rely on as we're going through more challenges, right? Like anything that we go through, I can say, uh, this doesn't stack up to COVID. Do you remember like do you remember 2020? <laughs> like we actually made it through and we crushed that. So like we're gonna crush this too. Um and I do point back to that quite a bit to the team and say, like, look what we did, right? Like we can do anything as a company. It's that never give up can do attitude that I think makes you such a great leader. And then also being so compassionate um, and so 
so involved and so committed to making sure that your employees are happy. I think is it's just a testament to you. So the last question I have, and this is one of my favorite ones because it's a brainstorming question. This podcast is centered around um, making children's books for little girls so that they have something to look up to and try and do different things. And the characters are Ruthie and Chloe. Um, Ruthie is probably about a little eight-year-old and she's a little adventurous and gets into trouble and uh, just has a mind of her own. So every book is going to be themed off of an interview that I have. So you will have your very own book. Just still name Very exciting. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'll take a little bit of time. Illustrating takes a lot, a lot of time, apparently. <laughs> but it is so much fun. So initially, the idea that I have is obviously Ruthie is has to start some kind of little business outside of the garage, just like any true serial entrepreneur. And uh, definitely come across a couple of hurdles. Maybe she starts her own clothing line. Do you have any any fun ideas that you'd like to include? Well, I mean, I love I love the track that you're already on. Um, hold on, what is she? So, how old is how old is Ruthie? About eight, eight-ish. Okay, Ruthie's eight. Um, so why doesn't Ruthie start her own like tie dye line? Oh, that would be fun. That could be cool, right? Because like eight year olds can tie dye. My kids tie dye. Um, so maybe she's starting like tie dye accessories, like scrunchies and t-shirts and like a bunch of other really cool tie dye stuff. And then, um, I think she is probably going to get in a lot of trouble because she's going to like spill tie dye all over her parents' house. Right. <laughs> and like maybe on the white cabinets or something. I don't know. Like she's got to get into some, yeah, some like really big challenges. You know, maybe she orders some, you know, shirts and they come in the, adult size and not the kid size because this is supposed to be like a kid's line or something. So I yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of things we could do here, but I don't know. I think, I think she's going to start a tie-dye company. I think that's perfect. <laughs> um, I can, <laughs> that is probably the most somebody has given me to go off of in a like quick little brainstorming. <laughs> and I think that would be so much fun to just take and run with. I can't wait to um to write it and get it illustrated and send it to you. I hope yeah, I hope you're able to I hope you are using not it's not black and white, right? It's like a colored Oh, it is very colorful. It is very vibrant and bright. And I might actually have to send you um some of the rough drafts of what I currently have going for the first book because it it'll be fun. So I, I can't I'm excited about that. We'll have some uh some testers. So, you know, all the girls can read. So you can get I, I, you know. Yeah, that'll be great. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so excited to um, produce this and can't can't wait for the, the episode to come out. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, Crystal. This was so much fun. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Underestimated Stories for Women. If you enjoy my podcast, please follow me on iTunes, Spotify, or Clips so you can hear my next story. This podcast is sponsored by Clips. Discover podcast highlights of your favorite shows at www.clip.ps.